0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for these new confirmands that have just um, joined the body. Lord, I pray for them as they um, just take this next step in their faith. Um, and Lord, now we pray for this class. We pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you, open our ears, open our minds. God, would you bless this teaching? May it be useful. May it be helpful. May it glorify you. Um, and yeah, Lord, take this time and use it um, as you will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, again, welcome. Hopefully, you know by now, this class is entitled "Food: Our Bodies and the God Who Redeems Them." This is a two-week series. So this week, we're going to talk more about kind of the theology behind these ideas. Next week is going to be more of the practical.
1: Laura, hello. Hey, just in time. Yeah. I didn't miss a thing.
0: We debated whether to start, and we just went with it. So glad you're here. Uh, so yes, this week is probably, uh, you can think of this more as the why. Next week's going to be more of the how. And... This is a class that mom and I have kind of dreamed of doing for a while in some form or fashion because this topic is near and dear to our hearts and we've both kind of seen the Lord transform and continue to transform our relationships with food, our bodies, and the Lord. Um, So it's our hope that this class, you know, if anything else, just kind of opens up the floor for more women in the body to talk about these things together. Yeah, it can be awkward. Yeah, it can be vulnerable. Yeah, we'd rather not, but, um, I think it's really important. And, um, I think it's a way of the Lord showing us more about who he is and who we are. So, To begin, speaking of awkward and vulnerable, um, the reason why this subject is near and dear to mom and I's hearts is because we both have had less than perfect relationships with food and our bodies. And so we thought we'd start this class by sharing a little bit about our stories, just for the sake of one, giving y'all some background, and two, um, letting you know that if this is something you have, are or will struggle with, you're not alone. There are plenty of other Christian women. In fact, I would be bold enough to say you probably have never met a woman who has never struggled with this stuff or who never will struggle with this stuff. Um, So I'm going to share a little bit about my story and then Mom's going to share hers and then we'll really get into the meat of it. Hey, come on in. Glad y'all are here. Oh, I'm glad you were. So we were just about to say... My mom and I are about to share kind of our backgrounds with this topic, okay. um, just so you weren't unaware of what you're stepping into. Okay, so me. I grew up in a house that had a super healthy relationship with food. My parents are fantastic cooks, I would say that, even if you weren't sitting right there. Mm-hmm. Food was always just a really joyful part of life. Um, we ate a lot. We ate well. Um, and, you know, in terms of my body, yeah, I thought about it maybe in the way that every like preteen teenage girl does. I had things I didn't like about it, but I didn't think about it too much. It was just kind of there. Um, I never, you know, I never was an anxious about it more than any other average person. So that kind of continued all throughout high school and into college. I didn't really gain the freshman 15. But then my junior year, I went abroad and I went to Spain. And as one does when one goes to Spain, I ate a lot more bread. I was 18, Francis, so I was drinking alcohol for the first time in Spain and, you know, going to pastry shops every day. I, um, I, I put, got a little meat on my bones um, in Spain. And one day my host mom, this um, Spanish woman named Juana, um, pinched my cheeks and called me gordita, which means um, little fatty. But that, she was, it was a term of endearment. She was just saying like, oh, how cute are you? You've gotten a little fat. And um, bless her heart, she had no idea that that comment would change my life. Um, that was the first time I really kind of was like, oh, maybe this is a body I'm not super comfortable in. And yeah, I, what I didn't love, my jeans weren't really fitting, and um, hey Kelly. So that kind, of sat, that kind of got me on a bad trajectory. That summer, when I got back from abroad, um, I was really committed to losing my abroad weight. I was determined. Um, As misfortune would have it, that summer, I also was a roommate with a good friend of mine who um, did not have the healthiest relationship with food, and so we were kind of codependent, and we started really unhealthy restricting, really unhealthy dieting, and it was kind of this unspoken thing, you know, and it just kind of progressed um, and I did end up losing my broad weight and then some. Um, I was not healthy. And the the twistedness of it all is I thought that I looked really good. You know, I thought that I was doing everything right. Um, but, yeah, inside I was just all about restricting, all about, I would say no to birthday parties when I knew there would be cake. Um, it was It was not a healthy way of living, not an abundant way of living at all. And, you know, gradually... Um, As college started ending and I got into the real world, the only thing I can say is that God began to heal me. There wasn't any magic moment. Um, God slowly took away the willpower that I had. Praise be to God. Um, It was not anything that I intentionally did. God just began to heal me more and more and more. And um, yeah, he continues to do so. So uh, that period of my life um, really formed me and formed my relationship with the Lord and Mm -hmm. That's a little bit about
1: my story. And now, Mom, take it away. All righty. And, y'all, fun fact I have to share Rebecca was born on Pentecost Sunday um, almost 26 years ago. So, I think it's really cool that we are here today on um, the holy day of her birth um, doing this class together. Um, so,. My story, it's kind of funny, or maybe it's not funny, how closely Rebecca's experience towards the latter part of college and mine parallel, um, but as a child, I grew up in a household that saw food primarily as a necessary part of staying alive. So we didn't obsess about it or think about it too much, but my mother had been a home ec major, and so she was super crazy organized. and. Um, she believed in the food pyramid of that day so each week you could we could see on our refrigerator the weekly menu plan Monday meatloaf Tuesday chicken you know all laid out and um, and she shopped accordingly so she had everything she needed for the whole week and she also was really tight with her food budget And so there were not a lot of snack food around our house. So I didn't think about food that much. I enjoyed it, but it was just sort of there to to sustain me. Um, You know, in that sense, I would say my formative years, um, I was pretty much free of any food or body weight anxiety. But, of course, that could not last, and it did not. And then the other thing about my developing as, as a female in the world um, my mother and I really do believe this her love language to me was to break any bad news in the safety of our home before the big bad world broke it to me so for example when I announced in seventh grade that I was trying out for cheerleading and that was a really a big deal if you were a cheerleader you were you were set and my mother looked at me and she said, "Honey, you are not going to make cheerleading. You just don't have a cheerleader's body. You don't have the. You don't have what it takes to be a cheerleader." And you know what? She was right. But um, I was always being told what I, I, I had or what I didn't have in a way that was um, probably going to make it hard for me in the world. Um, Mama was a, a, was a big woman. She was tall. She was like 5'10". She had broad shoulders, broad hips. Um, and she basically assumed that this was going to be my fate. And again, in love, let Carolyn know before she gets out there in the world. So, um, I heard a lot more than I wished I had about my boat-sized feet, my large frame my ungraceful gait and she would sum this all up with the pronouncement that and you're built just like your father well I don't know about y'all but when you're 12, 13 years old do you want to hear that you're built just like your father Um, so by the time I got to high school I was convinced that I was a too tall, gangly, flat chested non cheerleader type straight up and down girl. I was filled with insecurities. So, and in my mind, I wanted desperately to be shorter, curvier, and able to slip into a size six shoe. Um, I compared myself to my friends all the time, and I always came up short. Um, and then, I had the same similar eating disorder Um, disordered eating in my college career um, that Rebecca just spoke about, almost identical. But what I want to highlight about my dark season with that was that um, it was the summer after my junior year in college and I dropped a lot of weight fast, um, in a very unhealthy way too, I might add. Um, And then I got to 110 pounds when I got to 110, I said, "Okay, this is good," and I moved um, to thence uh, maniacally guarding that 110 pounds. I mean, down to the ounce. So my daily life was governed by my little ca- uh, my little notebook where I wrote down everything that I ingested, what the calories were, and I did not veer for a second. And even with people telling me, Carolyn, you don't look good. I heard, Carolyn, you look great. You know, it, it, was, it was, I was a slave to 110 pounds. And it took me well into my upper 20s to sort of be um, relieved of that chain, of that obsession with my weight. And it probably, I wear the scars of that still to this day, all these many years later. So, um, Rebecca and I, we, in working through this, we we really believe that our relationships to food and to our bodies, um, this is all fundamentally a heart issue. You know, if you think about it, the enemy is not food, per se. Food is neutral. The enemy is Satan. And he desires that we would be separated from the God who created us. Um, Satan uses the culture and social media um, and and Hollywood and all other ways. But he uses all of that and our brokenness, our own brokenness, to make us believe our worth is intrinsic to our physical appearance. But Satan's ultimate goal, he's using that because his ultimate goal is to keep us from a relationship with his enemy who is Jesus Christ. So this is just a very clever insidious way that he works on us. And we also want to be clear, Rebecca and I, that we are no experts. Um, we don't have any degrees in nutrition, in counseling, in lifestyle coaching. And all those are very good things, and we are blessed to live in a city like Birmingham where they are available to us, but we just don't have any of that. So what we're doing and what we hope to do is that we're offering a conversation with the Scripture and with one another. Um, So today, the first part of our two-week series and uh, footnote Next week is not a class because it's Memorial Day weekend. Our second class will be June the 6th, just FYI. Um, We are going to look at how we are supposed to see our bodies and relate to food and how the fall, very early in God's creation, has affected that perfect ordering. So here's a bit of the theology to it. I know you all know this psalm very, very well. In Psalm 139, King David proclaims to the Lord, For you formed my inward parts. What do I do?
0: (laughs) Just press the space bar right here.
1: Oh, thank you. you? (laughs) You, (laughs) (laughs) um, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's such a lovely statement and one that I would have a hard time proclaiming. And then St. Paul, um, he he tells the Corinthians in his first letter to them, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Um, so the scripture is clearly telling us that God has made our bodies good, fearfully and wonderfully. He made them. And our bodies are literally the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple. We are the Holy temples. Sp- um. We are the Holy Spirit's temple. So we are to treat them reverently and respectfully. And as St. Paul also says, our bodies are made so that we might glorify God. Our bodies have a purpose. Um, And this blows my mind, um, God is going to redeem our bodies. St. Paul tells the Roman church that And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons or daughters, the redemption of our bodies. So our bodies will be redeemed. They're going to be made perfect. Exactly what that looks like. I don't know, but they're going to be made perfect and they are eternal they are eternal bodies in the new creation our bodies will go with us when we die and we are united with christ so another way to put this when rebecca joins me in heaven many years from now she'll know it's me and i'll know it's her and and i mean our bodies go with us so they're pretty important Let's just think about a minute our sister Eve. If you consider her, she is the only human woman who experienced a perfect relationship with her body. And she didn't even get to have that all that long. She took care of her body by enjoying the good food that God had provided. And she was so mindless of her body at home with her body that she felt quite comfortable in her nakedness now can you imagine i had a medical procedure recently just very routine but it meant getting undressed and they gave me this gown you know that ties in the back only it doesn't really tie and then i had to leave the dressing room and walk down this long hall before i got on the bed where you know there and I was mortified. I was like, you know, trying to keep myself covered. Um, I just can't imagine her, her level of com- comfortableness. You know, the next time you're around a two-year-old when it's bath time, you know, wonder at his or her complete comfortableness in their birthday suit. Um, that was how Eve experienced her body before the fall. And now Rebecca's going to tell us um, about our relationship to food and where we went wrong.
0: Okay, so just like with our bodies, food was never intended to be a source of anxiety or an idol to bow down to. It was never intended to be something that we have a broken relationship with. Um, And the the more that God has healed my relationship with food, um, the more I see it in Scripture, and I just love it. I mean, Scripture is littered with either food as a metaphor or um, literal, you know, points during Jesus' ministry. It's it's all over Scripture, and the more your eyes are open to it, you'll see it. Um, So let's just look at Scripture and look at a couple places where we see God using food as an expression of the abundant life that He longs for us to have. So, okay, think back to the Exodus. Um, How did God feed his people? With bread, yeah, manna from heaven, daily provision. Already we see God showing us that food is a tangible way, that he shows his provision and care for his children. Okay, uh, fast forward all the way to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene, and in John 6, he refers to himself as the what of life. As the bread of life, yeah, Jesus is saying, I am that manna that's come down to provide for my people, to feed them. And I just think it's such a shame that bread is bread gets a bad rep these days. You know, like that, we have turned um, the very metaphor that Jesus used to talk about himself um, as the enemy. Uh, I saw a sign in Whole Foods not long ago that said, don't you think you and bread should be a thing again? And I was like, that is so true. Um So, okay, yeah, Jesus is the bread of life. What does he do the night in which he was betrayed? What does he share with his disciples? A meal, yeah. He uses bread and wine as tangible physical reminders of his provision for his people. He uses it as a symbol of the pending sacrifice he's about to make on the cross. And, I mean, just think about what Jesus did on a daily basis. He ate with sinners. He broke bread with them. He invited himself over into the houses of people like Zacchaeus to share a meal with them. Food was really important to Jesus. One of my... Let's see. Oh, we need to... We're going to move on a little bit more. Okay. Think, too, about at the, at the end, when we get to heaven, heaven's going to be a what? A banquet. A wedding feast. Yes. It's food. It's a party, Catherine. It's yes. Food. food was there in the garden, and it's going to be with us in heaven It's going to be a feast of rich food, like Isaiah prophesies, and well-aged wine. So, again, food was never meant to be a source of anxiety, never meant to be something to be restricted, like I did in the past, but something to be enjoyed, celebrated, um, delighted in, that points us to the beauty and the creativity of our Creator. But, of course, as with all things, we no longer relate to food or our bodies in the way we were intended to and so we're going to look at genesis 3 a passage i know we're all familiar with as kind of a a framework for seeing how distorted our relationship with food and our bodies has become we're specifically going to look at the three lies that the serpent tells eve that kind of distorts her thinking um, ever since the fall so I'll read this passage quickly for us, and then we'll look at the three lies. So, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die." Okay, so looking in verse uh, 1, what's, what's lie number 1 that the serpent tells Eve? What does he have her question? Exactly, yeah, Line number 1. Did God actually say he calls God's word into question? Well, we do this every time we forget truths like Psalm 139 or truths like um, Luke 12. Do not be anxious about what you will eat we forget what god has actually said and we believe the lies of satan in distorting god's word all right what's line number 2 in verse you will not die. right exactly you will not die line number 2 guys it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure out how to get these words in red just <laughs> so you know um we do this every time we put on wrinkle cream Um, We do this every time we sign up for a new Pilates class, believing that we will not die. We do this every time we dream of um, having a surgery to change the way we look one day. We believe the lie that death is something we can avoid. All right, lie number three in the next verse. You will be like God. Yeah. I think we do this um, every time we think that we can control how we look. Every time we think that we can manufacture our appearance to the point that it's going to make us feel worthy. You know, like that 110 number mom was talking about. That's kind of her believing the lie that she can be like God. Like, if I can be 110, I got this. I I don't need God, you know? If I can finally get, you know, the Michelle Obama arms I want... I can be good. You know, I can feel in control. Um so, how does Eve respond? What does she seem to follow when she sees that the tree was a delight to the eyes? Yeah. She follows her, that was, a, I didn't ask that question very well. She's She follows her instincts, right? She sees that the tree is to be desired and that's what leads her to take it rather than God's word. She She already has questioned God's word. She's not, she's no longer holding that as kind of the guiding framework of her life. She's now using her instincts. So this is kind of like when we look in the mirror and we're unhappy with what we see, That's us following our instincts rather than the truth of God's word, just like Eve is doing here. So, as with all things, our broken relationships, whether they be with other people, ourselves, or God's creation, food, and our bodies, um, we no longer relate to them the way we were supposed to. And we were going to show a clip from the Miss Americana Taylor Swift documentary. I highly recommend it, guys. It's amazing. But Taylor talks in that um, clip about her broken relationship with her body, which you would never guess from someone who you think has it all, like Taylor Swift. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to show that clip. Do we have to film quickly? Well, shouldn't we we get out of here by 11? I can
1: text my husband to go
0: get my child. Okay, well, if we want to watch Taylor Swift, let's watch Taylor Swift. it's it's very prophetic. Okay. Taylor Swift, The Prophet. That's what you're going. Okay, <laughs> got Taylor out. Who has anyone has seen this? Yes, it's so good. so good. Yeah, I recommend the whole thing. So well. Oh, I gotta warn you. She says the a word, and I didn't know how to not make it say the a word. I'm so sorry.
2: Well, <laughs> Yeah! So this is my front yard. And I'm highly aware of the fact that that is not normal. I've learned over the years it's not good for me to see pictures of myself every day because I have a tendency, and it's only happened a few times, and I'm not in any way proud of it, but I get, I tend to get triggered by something, whether it's a picture of me where I feel like I looked like my tummy was too big or or like someone said that I looked pregnant or something and that will just trigger me to just starve a little bit, just stop eating. I thought that I was just like, supposed to feel like I was gonna pass out at the end of a show or in the middle of it. I thought that was how it was and now I realize know if you eat food have energy get stronger you can do all these shows and not feel it which is really good revelation because I'm a lot happier with who I am and I'm happier with like I don't I don't care as much if like somebody points out that I have gained weight it's just something that makes my life better the fact that I'm you know I'm a size six instead of a size double zero. I mean, that that wasn't how my body was supposed to be. I just didn't really understand that. At the time, I really don't think I knew it. I would have defended it to anyone who said, I'm concerned about you. I was like, what are you talking about? Of course I eat, it's perfectly normal. I just exercise a lot. And I did exercise a lot, but I wasn't eating. And yeah just, I don't think you know you're doing that when you're doing it gradually. There's always some standard of beauty that you're not meeting. Because if you're thin enough, then you don't have that ass that everybody wants. But if you have enough weight on you to have an ass, then your stomach isn't flat enough. It's all to...
0: Sorry, she's about to say an even worse curse word, so I had to... (laughs) She says it's all very impossible, um, (laughs) colorful language excluded. Okay, so that's Taylor Swift living out Genesis 3, right? Even Taylor Swift felt like her worth needed to be manufactured um, through what she ate or what she didn't eat.
1: Um, Yes, so as as Taylor shows us, you know, um, in our brokenness, um, our worth our very worth becomes tethered to our appearance. Um, It certainly has been the case for me. Um, We literally become slaves to the maintenance and enhancement of our bodies. Um, This can take many different forms, but some examples might be that we have unhealthy relationships to food. We over-exercise. We obsess about our clothes. We even seek assurance of our identity through plastic surgery Rebecca and I both would be happy to recommend to you this podcast that's on Redeemer Church's website and it's this wonderful Christian woman and she tells her story um, growing up and in high school she was a dancer and she got really really thin but then she still didn't quite have that perfect body so she actually opted to get some cosmetic plastic surgery she might have that perfect look and this was while she was still in high school she doesn't go into detail about the nature of the plastic surgery but you know probably a pretty common one that's out there as an offering to us women Um, but then in college she found this wonderful Christian community and through the miraculous work of the Lord she was given um, a place of healing and reconciliation with her own body And she actually had her plastic surgery reversed Um, just in in this new identity that she had been given in Christ. um, She found that her identity had finally found its rest, its rest in Christ. Um, And that is what he does for us. He promises us an everlasting identity in him. In this identity, we can rest
0: yeah so just to land the plane here um if i could give one parting shot that has been pivotal for me in healing my relationship with food and my body it's been this idea of freedom in christ and by that i mean this idea that i am no longer under the law of what food and diet culture tell me i'm no longer under the law of thou shalt not eat gluten i'm no longer under the law of thou shalt exercise every day Um, i was even thinking about this Um, i'm also not under the law that we see kind of really prominent these days of total body acceptance love yourself unconditionally you do you girl um there are days that i don't i don't subscribe to that law um and that's because christ has come to fulfill the law on my behalf uh paul in galatians is dealing with essentially the same issue These Judaizers have come in and they're telling the Galatians, "Well, you're a Christian, but not really unless you get circumcised. So, AKA, your worth um, is really only legit unless you obey the law." And Paul comes in and he says, "That is so not true. What is true is that Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf, and now you no longer are under the law. You are free in Christ." Um, And that's just such a that's such a gift. That's such an invitation that we are free to relate to food and our bodies the way that God intended us to. Um, This is not always easy. Paul tells us um, in Galatians 4 and a little bit in Galatians 5, um, for freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We have to stand firm because sometimes it is really, really hard to live out of our freedom in Christ. Um, It is really hard to remember to subscribe to God's Word rather than what our instincts tell us or rather than what our visuals tell us. But the life that Christ invites us into of freedom as opposed to slavery is obviously so much sweeter and so much more abundant. Um, I was thinking about this, and I I feel like the moment I realized that God had healed me of my... uh, broken relationship with food was not too long ago I was in a gas station and I was really hungry and I just grabbed a granola bar and um, ate it and ran out and I had this flashback to that summer that I had had a really disordered relationship with food and I remember spending y'all I'm not kidding probably about 30 minutes in the gas station going over the nutrition facts of every uh, granola bar Talk about slavery, right? And it was only as I was driving away from the gas station that I realized freedom in Christ has set me free. Um, and he will continue to do so. And I pray he does that for all of us. Uh, so,
1: Mom, yeah. your are parting shot? Yes. Um, this will land the plane. But um, I am I, working on this, and I think this can speak to a variety of ages and stages in our life. If Satan had his way... He would have us live in, the, in this tension of either feeling shame, of not having a worthy identity because of our appearance, you know, that I'm not good enough, or to live in perpetual fear of one day losing our worthiness as our appearance changes. So aging becomes an enemy and not part of God's plan. Um, So we who have the gospel, we know that this is Satan's big lie, that we do not need to yo-yo between those two tensions. Um, And because we are, yes, the body of Christ, I think that's very cool, we have one another to guard against believing these lies. Um, St. Paul tells the Thessalonians, just do this. Look at you. Wow. Wow. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So, as mothers and daughters, as sisters, as friends, we can live together as a people in the world, but not of the world. We have the privilege and the joy of reminding one another what our true identity really is, and that is a life in freedom in Christ. We live in eternal bodies that are intended to glorify God, that is their purpose, and they will be redeemed and made perfect. Um, Rebecca and I look forward to kind of, at at this place where we end today, getting more into the practical applications of what that can look like, how we can do that and be that for one another um, when we um, have our, our second class in two weeks. Any final questions, and and then I will offer us a prayer. Sorry, it got kind of rushed. It was a confirmation had us get started a little later. All right, well, let us pray. Heavenly gracious Father, thank you for these bodies of ours that you have fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that sees our bodies as his temple a sufficient place for him to dwell. We thank you that you will redeem our bodies, making them eternal and truly perfect so we might have everlasting communion with you. Lord, please release us from our bondage to the culture of appearance and bring us to a place of freedom and rest in you. Amen. Amen.